Well, good evening, Praxis. It's good to see you. Can I see some smiles out there? Yes, yes, okay, I see that smile. <laughs> uh, it's good to be here with all of you as always. It's a pleasure, it's a joy, and what better joy than to be with you here tonight to think about our Lord Jesus Christ, to set our hearts upon him. And as you know, tonight we're starting our two-part series on the heart of Christ. And as we approach Christmas in the coming weeks, what better way to stir our hearts than to set aside some time to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. So our prayer is that this little series will grow your love for him and that you'd be reminded and refreshed of the love of Christ as we consider his heart for his people. Now, tonight's message might be a little bit different than what we're used to, um, as it's not necessarily an exposition of a particular passage, but more like a theological reflection or a meditation on one aspect of Christ. And so the main motivation is to draw your hearts to think about our Savior and to meditate on some realities of the Christian life so that you'd be encouraged to love your Savior more. So we'll be using John chapter 1, verses 48 and 49 to meditate on our omniscient Savior. Again, this is not a true exposition of that passage, but it's more of a launching point for us tonight. So go ahead and turn to John chapter 1. I'll read the larger uh, passage for some context, but our main launching point again is verses 48 and 49. So I'll begin in, in verse 44. So John chapter 1, verse 44. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now, there are many passages that we could have used to get our thoughts going on the omniscience of Christ. But this one in particular has a draw to me. It's very personal, and it invites contemplation. And as we can see, this is the call of Nathaniel to come and to follow Jesus. It's so intriguing how it plays out and the response both from both Jesus and Nathaniel. As Nathaniel approaches Jesus, he's greeted with an evaluation of his character. He says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Now, anyone greeted like that would be naturally thrown off. And so Nathaniel replies, how do you know me? They've never even met before. Now, Jesus' response is so interesting. Says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And there's something that's so intimate about the way that this is even phrased the way Jesus essentially reveals himself to Nathanael. 
When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. There is something that is so moving about these words that I hope will move and motivate your own hearts to behold the heart of Christ and to love him all the more. Now, it certainly touched Nathaniel in an impactful way as you see his response. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. I don't know about you, but I don't respond to people like that when they say they saw me under a fig tree. (laughs) So clearly there's something else going on here. And there's something so personal and intimate that Jesus must be referring to that which only Nathaniel and God would know. And that leads Nathaniel, that leads to Nathaniel's response that this is the Son of God, that this is the Messiah. And we have no idea what Nathaniel was doing under that fig tree, as Scripture doesn't tell us anything about that. But maybe he was meditating on the Word of God. Maybe he was praying to God. Maybe he was studying the Word of God. Maybe he was confessing his sin. Or maybe he was crying out to the Lord for his need of him. Or maybe even his love for God. We don't know. But God knows. And to be more specific, Jesus knew what Nathanael was doing under that fig tree. And this verse, among many others in Scripture, really highlights the reality of the omniscience of Jesus Christ. It shows us that he knows everything and that he is indeed the Messiah. So if you briefly consider John chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, it says, But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about him, for he himself knew what was in man. Or in John 6, when he knew that his disciples were grumbling about his teaching. And there's many, many other examples in the Gospels of Jesus's omniscience. It all reflects the reality that Jesus sees the heart. There is nothing hidden from his sight, and there is nothing that he does not know. So I want to take our time tonight to guide our thoughts through some of the implications of the omniscience of God and our omniscient Savior, to meditate on the reality that Jesus knows everything about us, our sins, our worries, our desires, our pains. And while we'll be concentrating our thoughts around the omniscience of Christ, it is important to realize that God cannot be divided up into compartments. All of his attributes are functioning at once, and all of them are true at the same time. So if you want to have your mind blown, I encourage you to take some time later tonight. Consider the omnipresence and the love and the wrath and the holiness of God and all of his other attributes all functioning at once. And you will be in awe and in wonder of our great God. So as we consider some of these implications of Christ's omniscience, there will certainly be some overlap and some intermingling with the other attributes as God is not divisible. But obviously there's no way that we can be exhaustive, so I thought it would be helpful to consider some categories with respect 
to Christ's omniscience. And these categories will largely be divided into the conviction and the comforts that the omniscience of the Lord Jesus Christ brings to our souls. In other words, the fact that Christ knows everything in this entire universe and in our own hearts, it serves to convict us and it serves to comfort us in a variety of ways. So first, let's consider the omniscience of Christ and the conviction of sin. Now, it wouldn't surprise me if the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear those two words, omniscience and sin, is that the reality of conviction and a feeling of guilt and maybe even fear. Your mind starts to wonder and to think about your past sins and the dark and the destructive, destructive patterns of life that you used to immerse yourself into. It's easy to bring to mind your secret sins that you think no one knows about because suddenly you're reminded that Jesus knows everything. The feeling of guilt might be overwhelming because there are certain sins that you just can't seem to shake off and you feel ashamed and guilty of these sins. Now, if you're a human being, you have these sins. You have committed them, whether in word or in actions, or even in the confines of your own heart. And that feeling of conviction, again, can be overwhelming. The feeling of shame can be haunting, and it can even be debilitating. And these are indeed hard realities, because the truth of the matter is, that Jesus does know the ins and the outs of our hearts, and he knows the motivations that drive our sins. And the sins and the desires that we think we can keep hidden from others, Jesus sees plain as the daylight. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus asked the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal a man on the Sabbath? And they didn't answer. But Jesus was not fooled. And Jesus could perceive their hardness of heart. And Jesus knew that they hated him and that they wanted to destroy him. In John chapter 4, when Jesus met the woman at the well and she stated that she had no husband, Jesus knew that the, the truth was that she had had five husbands and that the man she was living with was not her husband. And so similarly, Jesus knows the depths of our hearts, and he knows the reality of our sins. And when we sin, we try to cloak it in the cover of night. We try to conceal it in the recesses of our minds, all in an attempt to hide our sin. But all of this is foolishness. It's utter foolishness to even try to hide our sins. Now, when I was in, high, in a high school history class, obviously many, 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 many years ago, there was, there was a big, I heard that laugh, I heard that. <laughs> there was a big map hanging on a stand in the back of the room. And of course, in our, in our own childishness, no one wanted to pay attention in history class. So one of the guys in class, thinking that he's going to make better use of his time, he goes behind this big map and he starts sniffing some markers. Of course, the little sinners that we were, we wanted him to be caught in his sin, 
So we yelled out to the teacher, hey, that guy, he's in the back sniffing markers. And of course, he comes out from behind the map, denying everything, insisting that he most definitely wasn't sniffing any markers. And the teacher could rest assured that he wasn't most definitely doing anything other than sniffing markers. Says the boy who comes out with markers all over his nose and all over his face. It was obvious. This boy was caught red-handed. And just like that classmate of mine, it's foolishness for us to try to hide our sin from the living God. Now, Psalm 44:21 says that God knows the secrets of our hearts. And Hebrews 4:13 says, "And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account." So we're very familiar with the conviction of sin that comes with the reality and the omniscience of Christ. Perhaps too familiar. But perhaps we don't spend much time exercising and embracing the comforts that are also present with the omniscience of Christ with respect to our sins. Omniscience and the comforts that come through knowing the omniscience of Christ. So the first comfort that comes in the form uh, uh, from the omniscience of Christ It comes to us in the form of deterrence from sin. In other words, the omniscience of Christ can aid us in our times of temptation, in those crucial moments before we dive headlong into sin. As we said before, the reality that all of our sins and all of our heart desires, all of our thoughts are as plain as day before the Lord. And we should praise God for that. We should praise God for that because this can serve us as a great restrainer to our sins and our temptations. We all want to please the Lord and walk in righteousness and holiness out of a sheer thankfulness from our hearts and our love for the Lord. We all want to do that, but we all know that we are weak and we succumb to the temptations and we sin against our God. So in those times of weakness, when we're acting a fool and we're about to give in to our temptations, knowing and recalling the omniscience of God can be a great help in those battles against sin and temptation. And quite honestly, you can think of the Lord as your greatest accountability partner. The Lord has made us all part of the church and we should help and encourage one another when it comes to temptation and sin. And as an example, the area of lust is, statistically speaking, a huge area of challenge and struggle in this era. Uh, both men and women of every demographic face this temptation of lust every day of their lives. And it wouldn't be far-fetched if a number of you in this room are actively battling against the sin of lust. And if you're battling and you're fighting against this sin with the Lord's help, I praise God for you. Keep on fighting that sin. Now, if you're not fight in the fight and you're just giving in to those temptations, 
and you're exposing your eyes and your mind and your heart to all kinds of indecency, you need to wake up and you need to get into the battle against the sin because sexual sin can lead quickly into all kinds of destruction. If you're a bro, I hope you have brothers that are keeping you accountable and that can walk with you through these difficult times. If you're a sister, I hope you too have accountability sisters that will support you in this. There are other tools in the arsenal that can help us, like the software program called Covenant Eyes that provides helpful accountability with internet pornography. But there's another weapon in the armory as we seek to put our sin to death, and that is the omniscience of Christ. When you are doom-scrolling and the uninvited temptation appears in your feed and your heart starts to pound and the devil's lies start to race through your mind with empty justifications, you can remind yourself that the Lord Jesus will know. The Lord who saw Nathanael under the fig tree, presumably meditating on godly things, will also see you choosing to worship the ungodly things you place before your eyes. The Lord who brings light to the world will know if you've been diving into inappropriate novels to feed your lusts. And so remind yourself, remind yourself about this amazing truth and bring it to mind. Tell yourself, I can't do this. I must not proceed. My king, my savior will know that I have sinned against him. The one who loves my very soul will know my rebellion against him. I cannot do this. Oh Lord, please help me. Because the Lord knows the secrets of our hearts. And this should help us. This should serve us as a deterrent for us in a battle against our sin. And as one of the Puritans put it, who dare speaks treason against a prince if he were sure that he heard him or that it would come to his knowledge? And so calling to mind the omniscience of Christ, of our very Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus, that should strengthen us in our war against sin. And that should comfort our souls. And then what else? What other comforts can we draw from the omniscience of God? Now, how does the omniscience of Christ and the love of Christ mingle together to comfort our souls? So think again with me back with the woman at the well in John 4. Remember, Jesus, Jesus stopped in Samaria and at this point in history, there's beef between the Jews and the Samaritans. They're not on the best of terms. But Jesus is in Samaria, and he sees this woman at the well, and he knows her life situation and all of her sin. And he knows that she's living with a man that's not her husband and whatever other sins that she had done in the past. But the Lord Jesus moves towards her. He initiates the conversation with her. He asks her for a drink of water, and later in the conversation, he offers her living water. This whole interaction with her and bringing up her past and using his omniscience does bring conviction of sin to her heart, but he also brings comfort because 
through each interaction with this woman, the goal is to bring her to the living water of himself and to have eternal life and her sins forgiven. And this whole interaction is an act of love of Christ. And with the full knowledge of her sin against him, And it's all to draw her to himself so that she might be saved. Not only that, but she goes and then she brings the whole town of sinners to come out to hear him. And many of the Samaritans believe and were saved. Now you can read through all of Jesus's interactions through the gospels and keep in mind his omniscience and see his loving hand in light of that reality with each interaction. And so now consider the Lord's omniscience and his love for you. Come, see the breadth and the depth of Christ's love for you. He knows everything. He sees everything. He knows all of our sins, and he knows that every sin that we've ever committed, and he knows every sin that we will ever commit. He knows all the heinous crimes we've committed, past, present, and future, yet Before the foundation of the world, brothers and sisters, he set his love upon you. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1. And even with the very knowledge of all of our sin, he set his love upon us. Every lustful look, every covetous desire, every hateful thought, every prideful act, He knows them, and yet he set his love upon you. He loves the unlovable. He loves those who hated him. He loves those who were rebellious against him. And as we know, he took on flesh. He became a man. He laid down his life and died upon the cross, making the ultimate sacrifice. He paid for our sins and suffered the wrath of God. He knew exactly what he was doing because he knows all of our sins and what amazing love is that that our savior sees our deepest and our darkest sins in our hearts and yet he sets his love upon us to save us to atone for our sins and to forgive us our sins but there are some of us who have committed hideous sins that you might think that you might feel are unforgivable or that are unbearable. And some of you might think that you've sinned so much that maybe God missed a sin and forgot about one of them. But again, there is comfort in the omniscience of God and in the omniscience of Christ. Just as he knows every sin that we committed in order to judge, he also knows every sin of ours to fully forgive. Every single sin of ours must be atoned for, and therefore every sin of ours must have been atoned for on the cross of Christ. Not a single sin has gotten by him. Not a single sin was forgotten. Not a single sin was left for us to atone for as if we could do such a thing. There is no sin that is too great that Jesus could not atone for by his death, and there is no sin too small that was not accounted for. Jesus indeed paid it all. Now this is an amazing grace of God and we find comfort from his omniscience even here in all of this. 
if we were to try to keep track of all of our sins, to make sure that they were all atoned for, it would be an impossible task. But with the omniscient God, that is impossible. He knows all things. Now, all of this just goes to highlight even more the love of our Savior that he has for us. And it should instill love, our love for him. Now, if you take time to think about that and review all of the sins in your mind, things that bother you, things that poke at you in the middle of the night, things that don't let you sleep, think about the omniscience of Christ and the love of Christ and that every single sin, the ones that you don't even, are, don't even know that you've done, have been atoned for by your loving Savior on the cross. Now, how else can we be comforted? How else does the reality of Jesus' omniscience comfort us? And God's omniscience should also comfort us in our trust for him. Jesus' omniscience also helps us in our trust of him. When we need help and guidance, we can go to Christ. When we need help discerning the heart of a brother or a sister to give them biblical counsel or even to discern our own hearts, we can go to Christ. And when there are situations and life circumstances that we don't understand and that leave us baffled, the omniscience of Christ can bolster our trust in him. There's an interesting example that helps us to see this in John chapter 9. You can flip there to look at it. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. John 9, verses 1 through 3. It says, as he passed by Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, the people in this day associated this man's blindness with sin, and they were trying to discern whose fault is it that this man was born blind. And as the text makes clear, the disciples were totally on the wrong track. They were thinking about it all the wrong way. They were making critical assumptions about the situation and about the people involved, as well as theological assumptions. But they had it all wrong. However, thankfully, they asked the omniscient Savior. And even though the basis for their question was wrong, the Lord provided the answer that only he could provide. The man wasn't born blind because of anyone's particular sin, but it was that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, there's so much love and hope and encouragement to be had in this passage and it speaks to the sovereign hand of God. But it also highlights the omniscience of Christ and that we can and we should rely on him and go to him. We all know that we should pray and ask the Lord for wisdom, for discernment, for guidance. But when we pray and when we ask for aid from the Lord, is it grounded in the omniscient love of our Savior? Or is it grounded in doubt? Is it grounded in duty? And when we come to the Lord to seek discernment regarding our sin or life decisions, 
or even for theological clarity, our prayers and requests and questions should rest on the solid foundation of his love and his care and his sovereignty, but also on his omniscience. And when we don't understand something and we want to question the Lord and say, why? Why, O Lord? There is comfort in knowing that our Lord is omniscient. Now, some of you may know that there is some level of disability in my family, and at least for the foreseeable future, there's nothing that can be done about it, and it will get progressively worse over time as the years go by. Right now, it affects us to some degree, but if things play out as they typically do for this particular disease, it will begin to affect us more and more down the road. But this passage, indeed, is so encouraging to us because it reminds me that in light of my omniscient Savior, there is always hope and there is always purpose. I don't know how my Lord, my Savior, will use this disability to glorify himself, but I do know that he knows, and I'm forever grateful that he knows and that he cares for us, and that he even bothered to put this example in his word to encourage me to trust him and to love him. Our Lord is omniscient. I don't know the answers, but he does. And I can love him and I can trust him. This is our omniscient Christ. But how else might we draw comfort from our Lord's omniscience? A final comfort that we can draw from Jesus' omniscience is a comforting patience. A comforting patience. And that's that he knows that we love him. Now, even though we may be followers of Christ and we are new creations in him, there are times when we act out of selfishness or fear or just fleshly desire and we mess up. There are times when we behave and act and make decisions that don't reflect our love for Christ. In Luke 22, Peter, he had such a heart that he was willing even to die for the sake of Christ. But in the moment of fear, he denied Christ three times. But in the loving omniscience of Christ, who knew that Peter would betray him, Jesus prayed for him and encouraged him. And later on in John 21, when the Lord sought to restore Peter, and he asked him three times if he loved Jesus, Peter appealed to what? He appealed to Jesus's omniscience. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Such is the Lord's kindness. Such is the Lord's patience. And such is the Lord's omniscience. That even when we fail, even when we sin in these moments of fear and doubt, He knows that in our heart of hearts, we love him. And what a great kindness that the Lord has shown us in his omniscience through his word, that even in our sin and in our failures, 
his knowledge of all things can be a comfort to us when we repent and we turn to him because we know that he knows that we love him. How many times in your workplace or in your neighborhood have you been given in to fear and to doubt when there's an opportunity to present Christ to someone or to bring the Lord Jesus into the conversation? Or how about the times when we pridefully look down on your coworker or classmate because you knew that you're better than him or you think you deserve that promotion that they got? Or when you allow the bitterness in your heart to eat at you because you were wronged by a family member, by a friend. Or when you've lost your patience with your kids for the upteenth time. Oh, wait, that's me. Sorry. You don't have kids. So (laughs) we all have sins that we have a hard time overcoming. Now, that's true for all of us. And at some point, we fall into that cycle of being so frustrated with our sins and with ourselves because we stumble over and over and over again. And occasionally, occasionally we might commit a sin like Peter, right? one that is so grievous and one that we feel so ashamed of. But if we're like Peter and we return to the Lord, we have true repentance over our sin, we confess our sins to him, and we seek his forgiveness and his aid, we can also find comfort for our frustration because we can appeal to Jesus's omniscience to know that we love him even when we momentarily fail in that love. Such is that great love and patience that our omniscient Savior has for us, his people. So there are other areas of our lives that we could use to meditate on the omniscience of Christ, right? Loneliness, assurance of salvation, anxiety, doubt, and on and on and on. But I hope that you will continue this exercise of meditating on your omniscient, loving, trustworthy, and patient Savior, and that your heart and your love will grow more and more as you see and experience the heart of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the blessing of giving us your eternal Son, the one who knows all things, the one who knows that even in our failures that we love him. We thank you that every sin of ours indeed was atoned for on the cross. Nothing escaped your view. Nothing escaped your plan. But you, knowing all things from the past, and all the way into the future, omnisciently, sovereignly decided to set your love upon us. Father, help us during this season to meditate upon your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to think of his omniscience as we drive in the car home, as we stare at the ceiling in our bed as we go to bed, as we deal with loneliness, as we face, Lord, the frustrations of falling into temptation again. Help us to think of your omniscience. Help us to think of your omnipresence, that you're with us no matter where we are. Help us to remember that we're never alone 
because you are with us, O Lord. And your love and your forgiveness and your patience is always set upon us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We pray these things humbly in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.